Buddhist Geeks Discover the Emerging Face of Buddhism. Episode 275 Buddhism, Technology, and Quarter Pounders. In this wide ranging conclusion to an interview for the KGNU public radio program Sacred Lines, the Buddhist Geeks further discuss the intersections between contemplation and technology. This is part two of a two part series. Buddhist Geeks is supported largely by the generosity of our listeners. If you like what we're doing, please consider making a one-time or monthly recurring donation by visiting BuddhistGeeks.com forward slash donate. What do you think that this kind of wired up technological approach can bring not just to contemporary Buddhism, but to spirituality in general? Well, technology is the new normal. And so um, by combining the two, spirituality can reclaim its seat um, as a central part of people's lives or, a, or an accessible part of people's lives. Um, for me, it's like, Buddhify, the only reason Buddhify is an app is because people use apps. The only reason it's on a phone is because that's how people listen to music and listen to audio. Uh, and so making it as normal, to so rather than it being a thing which is special, lives in a mountaintop, a forest, a temple, or whatever, or you have to wear robes, or that whole thing, it looking like every other type of thing that you engage with and love about. So um, it's, it has the same production quality as... Um, something that you like if you're really obsessed around sports or other types of things it has that same quality and experience and is is, is delivered through the media um, and uh, language and aesthetic which which is comfortable for you and which you is native is just native and natural because if like if someone's used to really slick US TV shows and certain type of lifestyle but the spiritual stuff looks really rubbish, then they're gonna be they're either gonna be embarrassed or 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 hide it away. Like they'll, if they engage with it, they'll just compartmentalize it as part of their life, which is the tragedy of uh, often of spiritual practice that it is it does live in a special place. Um, and so, by expressing it through the technology that people use, then it becomes just uh, a thing that you do. The, the other piece I'd add around this is that uh, the media theorist, uh, Marshall McLuhan, he talked about how each new technology makes one thing obsolete, but then it also brings something back from the past. And one thing that I've been noticing and I've heard other people talking about is how social media in particular brings something back from the past. Like if you're on Facebook, you notice that you're it's like living in a small town where everyone knows what everyone else is doing all the time. And there's something really beneficial about that if you're part of a spiritual community, because the traditional way that people develop their spiritual capacities were in small communities where relationship was a central means of learning. And so part of what we have now is a new expression of that, where people kind of know what's going on with each other all the time in small communities, except it's virtual. And that virtuality enables people to, 
to gather in these sort of virtual collectives or virtual pods that are more specifically geared around particular styles of practice or particular ideas about what they're doing, like shared purpose or shared aim. And I found that when that happens, people tend to do a lot better than if they're isolated and trying to figure things out by themselves. So that's one way that I see spirituality is already changing and one way that technology is kind of impacting it. And uh, overall seems like a really positive trend. Although there's a question about uh, what, what the downsides are. And I, I, it may be too early to tell. I, I'm not really sure. Um, except that, you know, it's, it's, it's different being virtually based than it is being in person. There's something that clearly gets missed in that experience. Yeah, and I think sort of another thing on this in this issue is I think that um, modern spirituality can start to change how we understand technology as well, which is the other way around. So um, it's not a, definitely not a one-way thing. So the popular narrative of technology has been there's any social media is that it fragments attention and distracts the mind. Um, but is that, again, is it, is that, is that because of that's how technology is, or is it just how technology has been made? Um, so the, the primary driver for technology for social media is selling ads basically. So, uh, that's, that's the core mission of social media. Uh, selling sort of ad revenue but if we change the the core mission to be well-being or um, self-awareness or compassion then our popular technologies will look uh, quite a lot different Um, and I think it's part of the evolution of digital media which is still in its uh, nappies diapers sorry that's um, uh Something I always look at is like the story of um, where, where startups emerge. So the classic startup home is San Francisco and the Bay. And, now, and then in the last uh, 10 years, we've seen the center of gravity of that start to move to east side of the US and also Europe, uh, which are more traditionally creative cities, actually, and cultural cities, um, because technology is just about sexy, gadgety, wizardry gizmos, the actual the actual Cody stuff, it wasn't enough. They needed an aesthetic. It needed a cultural anchor. So we start to see the the Pinterests, the 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 gaming companies with beautiful aesthetics, and they tend to come out of the east coast of the states in Europe rather than San Francisco. And so maybe the next phase is uh, bringing not just uh, the sort of cultural creativity, but the the spirituality, the the self investigation, the well being into that. And I think. Um, we're going to start to see not just people like us, but uh, in, people who are interested in this general area of well-being in the mind. So that can be psychologists, neuroscientists, uh, meditators, being involved in the design of technologies. And uh, that will be a new wave in how uh, we experience and how we understand uh, technologies. Which is important because um, it's so cheap to make an app Obviously, like I spent thousands of dollars on it, but that's relatively cheap. Um, the fact that, like, uh, so that it just democratizes the manufacturing because man- manufacturing has become democratized. People who have the expertise around the mind and well-being and spirituality now have the tools to make the difference. Like five years ago, I could never have made Budify, um, but it just the circumstances are where I can make a 
product that can get to all of the English-speaking world with a smartphone, which is a significant number of people. Um, and uh, all from essentially from my small flat in uh, London at the time or Glasgow now. And that is, that's remarkable. On the Buddhist Geeks website, uh, you're quoted as saying, I've spent more time speaking with people who don't have an interest in Buddhism per se, but who care about what it's pointing to. I'd be interested in both of your opinions of what is Buddhism pointing to? Um, it's hard to say that it's pointing to one thing, although it's easy to think that it is. My own experience is that the the further I've gone with my own inner practice that's been very shaped by Buddhism, the more it's revealed to me about that which I don't know. And that seems to be one of the kind of meta qualities for me is the sense of every time I think I've got it or I've got the answer, or I've had some experience that sort of um, gives me a conclusion about how things are or or some experience where my sense of internal strife or suffering goes down quite a bit, um, th suddenly there's something new. There's some new subtle thing. There's some new subtle idea that I was holding on to or some new subtle experience of tension or some new dichotomy. Like, oh, it's just my practice that's important and it's not the people around me or some of my relationships are important. Um, that's not so subtle. That's pretty gross. But um, each time I've encountered some new subtle thing, then it, it brings up this new wave of questioning and investigation and interest and, and really having to fundamentally die to some idea or some identity that was there and then finding myself in a new open space again and that process continuing. There was a Zen master in Japan named Dogen who brought Zen from China to Japan, one of the main people to to bring it across. And he had this formulation for what the purpose of Buddhism was or the purpose of Buddhist practice. And he said, one is you want to raise the Bodhi mind. And what raising the Bodhi mind means is you want to raise this feeling. Bodhi means awake. Raise this sort of desire, this longing to awaken, to awaken to something new. And then he said, the second phase is to seek and attain enlightenment. So once you've raised that interest in finding out something new, you want to actually go for it and, and discover what it is you're seeking. And then the third thing, which, which really struck me, is then cast it away. Whatever enlightenment you've gained or some new thing that you've realized, you actually just you, you let it go and you cast it away. And then you repeat. Start again, yeah. And then it's like rinse and repeat. Um, and so for, for me, Buddhism, if it's pointing to anything, it's pointing to this ongoing process of investigating life and investigating the world and my relationship to the world and continuing to see through those things, those resistances, and those ways that I fight, I struggle with reality itself, instead of actually being in harmony with the way things are, the way things are actually happening. Um, again, that's just a, that's a poetic way of pointing to one aspect of things. There's many other aspects. That's the cool part. It's like a multifaceted jewel. Um, there, there are many ways into the center um, and each one illuminates something new about reality because reality is so vast. It's so huge. There's so much going on here. So Buddhism is just is one way of, of looking into reality um, and, and by no means the only way. So in looking at <laughs> apps like Buddhify, and you said there's many other meditation apps out there, how do you think that, first off, how do you think the app 
and how does it actually facilitate the the meditation? I mean, I've looked at the app for, but for listeners who haven't looked at the app, how does it facilitate the process of meditation? Oh, sure. So, um, think of the many times of the day when we're just doing stuff around town, which we consider as dead time. Uh, we're just moving between places. We're sitting around waiting. And the interesting thing for Buddhify says, hey, we can use that time. Um, you're interested in developing positive qualities of mind um, rather than just playing Angry Birds. Um, why don't we do something more productive than that? That's what it, so that's what it, it sort of it helps um, convert uh, some of that uh, time and interest and energy uh, into, it, it allows a pathway in which to develop the positive qualities that meditation enable in those times and um, yeah, so the way the current version works is that um, you you say like you uh, it it asks you whether you're at the gym or on the train or um, so on, and then you you tell it where you are, and then um, it will uh, deliver you an audio guided meditation which is designed specifically for that environment. Um, so it helps use the the what's happening around you, um, the instructions. Uh, uh, place you very much it's, it's 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 a very honest style of meditation it just sort of it's completely recognizes that if you're on a subway train or a train it's noisy how can we use that noise and the vibration and the fact that there's a slightly weird guy sitting opposite you to support uh clarity to support concentration to support compassion um and so that's what it does and on your website, you've also self-described yourself as an average meditator. So <laughs> when I'm talking to you about quantifying meditation, how do, you, mm. how do you evaluate how good of a meditator you are? And how does Buddhify then facilitate that? Um, well, uh, how one evaluates oneself is normally with a lot of self-criticism, <laughs> I guess. Um, meditation joke. Um, but... Um, uh, I think the average the average meditation thing is that's more of a sort of that's more of a throwaway line in that if you look at my meditation CV, I have an above average interest in meditation and practice and experience, um, having trained in various places around the world and um, done lots of it. Um, uh, but uh, the main thing, the, the the key thing about the, the reason I self-identify as average is because I'm not a teacher and I don't try to be. I'm not positioning myself as an expert. The content in, included in Buddhify is not highly advanced practice, but that's not a criticism of it. It's a, it's it is it is what it is. It it's a it's a introductory materials and, um, but that ones that have been born in an urban environment, um, and so, uh, quantifying is a when you're quantifying some meditation, it's the first thing is knowing what you want, um, knowing what you want to achieve. And the qualities, uh, maybe the qualities which you want to achieve, and then using your own uh, skills of assessment to to monitor those, and also using uh, people around you that you trust to help monitor those as well. When looking at both the meditation apps and at Buddhist Geeks, do you think that most users self-identify as Buddhist or not, or does that even matter? As long as they buy the app, I don't care. <laughs> um, you, yeah, you spoke to that a bit, I guess. Uh, um, 
again, Buddhism has this sort of amorphous shapeshifter thing. It can be really helpful to self-identify as Buddhist. It can be really unhelpful as well. It's how whole, it's how tightly you hold on to that. And uh, like Vince said, one of the one of the core insights of Buddhism or the Buddha really is that the the more you identify with stuff, the more um, trouble it will give you. Um, and so the skill, um, not just with Buddhism, but with all labels, is to hold it lightly uh, rather than tightly. And so if calling yourself a Buddhist means you can, uh, allows you to enter that room where you meet the 20 people in your city that you can actually have that conversation with, then that is the most skillful use of the term Buddhist. If it means um, that it gets into a really boring and unwinnable argument around the metaphysics of awakening or the deep nature of consciousness, then that's probably not that useful time to hold it tightly. So it's a it's a constant sort of um so personally like I um I if someone asked me whether I'm Buddhist I would say yes but I don't advertise it. Um I don't wear sort of team Buddhist on my on my t shirt. Finsters though. Um <laughs> I don't have it on today. <laughs> but um uh and I think that's the that's the thing. It's like um there's this phrase in Buddhist circles call skillful means. It's like, does it work? Does it help? Um, and sort of secondary question, does it really help? Um, so, and if you're asking those questions and checking, not just by yourself, but with others, um, if someone's like, if I'm, if I read a blog post on something and like lay into it and then don't see that I'm holding on to my Buddhist identity, really, like I'll hope that someone will go, hey, Vince says, hey, well, and that was just being an idiot. And then that sort of relaxes that. And so, um, yeah. Just just a sort of anecdotal story around this. Um, so someone came up to my wife, who is a longtime meditator as well, and was during an event, and they asked her, are, are you a Buddhist? And her initial response, which, which I really love, is, you know that's a trick question for a Buddhist, right? Um, and it is. It's a trick. It's a trick question if if you're engaged with uh, these approaches and practices. I think if you're really engaged with them, because like Rohan said, it it brings up this question of am I holding on to or am I identifying with this idea? Um, and often it's the it's the idea in, in the person who's asking you's mind. Right. Actually, says so like, oh, are you a Buddhist? And like, um, so then they might assume you're vegetarian, you don't do this, you do do this, um, which is all just um, ideas in the mind. And if they, under, if they find out that you throw back quarter pounders <laughs> like I do, then suddenly it's like yeah, they have an idea that, I, I'm, much, that I'm a bad Buddhist. <laughs> and suddenly I went from not really being sure what I am to being a bad Buddhist. And that's, no, that's not fun. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the other thing, you know, we talk a lot about not holding things too tightly. But then the opposite problem, which you sort of oh, alluded yeah. to, is is not having enough focus and enough determination and enough um, clarity to really stick with the the model and the techniques and the approaches long enough to get any real results. And so that's a, also a common problem for people, uh, especially if they take up meditation, is they don't really they don't really try the experiment. It's not a sincere experiment. They don't really give it a go. And so for some people, like saying for a while, I'm a Buddhist, may be helpful in maintaining that kind of laser-like focus of doing the ex the Buddhist experiment. And in that sense, like 
I th- it can be very useful, and I've I've done that myself. Um, and now I'm a recovering Buddhist. <laughs> so it seems, in what we've talked about, that the connections between digital technology and Buddhism are largely a Western phenomenon. Would you agree with that notion? They're a modern phenomenon. Yeah, and um, yeah, it's, it's definitely more of a global modern phenomenon because we had one gentleman at our last conference from Singapore who's a professor there, and he came up to us and said, hey, I'm really interested in uh, bringing Buddhism back to Asia. <laughs> and so we had a really interesting conversation about um, a modern approach to Buddhism or postmodern or whatever you want to call yeah. it, that, that, that there's actually a hunger and interest in all parts of the world for that sort of thing, especially in parts of the world like Asia where it used to be an important part of the uh, culture. And there's an interesting parallel because in the West, Christianity is sort of the, in many ways, the kind of religion that everyone's kind of distancing themselves from in a lot of ways. And I think in Asia, there's something similar, but there's, there's real value in my mind in reclaiming the past and reclaiming the wisdom of the past while jettison, jettisoning the things that don't work and don't function. Yeah. And I think, um, yeah, technology is is a global thing and I think but what I think what's different so everywhere around the world you have Buddhist teachers using uh, technology mainly social media to get there so whether you're a monk in Thailand who blogs or a Vietnamese Zen guy who has a YouTube channel that all exists all over the place as we'd expect um, I think what's different in the conversation that we're involved in is how do we reimagine how stuff is presented not just broadcast better um not just taking so the existing model of a monk giving a sermon traditionally that would maybe you'd get 80 people now you can get uh everyone with a internet connection um that's actually still the same delivery model it's just bigger it's a scale um so we're more interested in what are the different actual models by which that could be de- developed and delivered so um i'm not seeing that elsewhere but that's also because I don't speak Mandarin. So it might be happening. I'm just not sensitive to it. So I think we have to be really careful of going, there's this whole new cool Western Buddhist thing. There is. But I, I would not be surprised if there are people in Korea, which is incredibly, the most probably for the most technically advanced place on the planet, which is a traditionally Buddhist country, who are doing um, committed Buddhist practitioners exploring Buddhism through technology. Um, it'd be really exciting to to find them but. and and if you do find them email me so i can interview them <laughs> and maybe email me too <laughs> so we've actually answered a lot of excellent questions here given that our focus at the cmrc and with this program here on kgnu is looking at the intersections between religion spirituality and technology is there anything pivotal or interesting that you would want us to take away from this discussion? I, it's a bit of an echo back to what we said before, but this really, this thing about dualities. So if someone comes, if someone listening to this has a question of, oh, actually, like, how do those things do? Before you talk about Buddhism and technology or whatever, they're really asking the, so they're really asking inviting the inquiry of what view am I bringing to this topic? What am I assuming? Because 
uh, Vince gave a lovely description of what Buddhism points to. Then, like uh, my sort of summary would be around um, sort of Buddhism pointing right back at you and asking you, "How are you seeing the world, and how does that? What does that mean for how you experience the world?" That is sort of what Buddhism's about. So, um, if put it like putting on some like currently we're wearing these filters. If we wear a different filter, how how does that change experience? And is there a more joy or freedom and compassion in that experience? And so when we're looking at these um, topics and these intersection points, like you say, what are the, what's the baggage we're bringing? What's the view we're bringing? Um, uh, and how true is that? Um, I think that's a really interesting inquiry. Yeah, and it's, it's also interesting because it's not just a philosophical inquiry. No. It's not like what ideas. It's also, uh, it, it's at all levels of one's experience. It's at the emotional level. It's at the bodily level. Uh, it's it's the way that we in, engage with reality and the way that we respond to it as like as organisms, uh, and so w- you know one of the things that's really useful is saying like there are different ways of approaching things, but we're really conditioned. That's the other part of the Buddhist wisdom tradition is that we're pointing out that we're really conditioned to see things and experience things in a certain way, and so that's why I think there's so much interest in meditation now because it's a tool or a means by which one reshapes one's conditioning or at least starts to understand one's conditioning better. And um, so I I would kind of want to emphasize that this is a approach that's not just philosophical, it's actually practical. And so if you really want to get value from these ideas, you actually have to put them into practice to some degree. Uh, Otherwise, it's really just sort of mental masturbation yeah, the the armchair buddhist is a is a common but uh can be a not the most productive approach great thank you cool. well again i'm samira jabi and you've been listening to sacred lines a collaboration between kgnu and cu center for media religion and culture today we've been speaking with rohan gunatilika creator of a mobile app buddhify and vincent horn founder of the website and podcast Buddhist Geeks. Thank you, gentlemen, so much for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you. Join us for the fourth annual Buddhist Geeks Conference, hosted in partnership with Mindful Cyborgs and Shambhala Sun from October 16th through the 19th in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. This year's conference will be exploring the convergence of Buddhism with modern culture and technology through informative keynote presentations, idea-packed TED-style talks, self-organizing community dialogues, and contemplative workshops and practice periods. This year's list of presenters includes the world's most quantified man, Chris Dancy, abbot of the village Zendo in New York City, Roshi Pat Enkyo O'Hara, and pragmatic Dharma provocateur, Daniel Ingram as well as many others. For more information and to register, visit BuddhistGeeks.com slash conference. After nearly a year in private beta, the Buddhist Geeks Network is now open for any independent practitioners who want to engage in interdependent practice. You can find out more about the Buddhist Geeks Network by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. And if you'd like to join the community 
and join us in regular social meditation practice or other events that we host there in the network, all freely offered. You're very welcome to do so, again, by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. Love to see you there.